Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, or not. Um, today's guest is Barb Campbell, Canadian adventure racer, road gainer, trail runner, all-around nice person. Um, quite honestly, one of the nicest people I've ever met in adventure racing. And that's saying something because <laughs> most adventure racers are pretty nice people so um once again there'll be uh links to a couple of the videos that we talk about in the show notes um and just i should keep forgetting i should be doing a little more self-promotion uh you can subscribe on itunes on the website there's a donate button however if you click uh, click on the uh, legendary randy erickson link at the bottom of the page That'll take you to my website, which doesn't have much on it, but um, getting all the links to all my different pages, YouTube, Vimeo, Flickr, uh, you can find all my work. Um, and if you don't would want to donate there, the website takes takes five bucks if you donate on, on the Podomatic website. So if you go to mine, I can get an extra five bucks from you if you're if you're interested. Um, I'd also like to say, by chance, any race directors are listening to this, um, I'm be pretty good person to bring in to film, take pictures, maybe do some live audio or some podcasting at your races. So uh, don't forget about me. Uh, also, this week we've started a little contest with uh, Grant Killian and Untamed New England. We, he's sending me some swag to send out to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the uh, magic word of the week. Um, and that word this week is chili dog. And most of you, yeah, probably, I, maybe most of you don't know, but uh, go listen to podcast number two with Paulette and you'll find out who chili dog is. Uh, go to the Untamed New England Facebook page by... March 14th and just uh, comment the word chili dog and we'll pick somebody at random next week and send you some untamed New England swag so um, thanks to that grant and untamed and once again we have a, a, a real sponsor this this week the Appalachian Mountain Club you know or the AMC as we call them are really they're the host to untamed New England this year um, in June, the 100-mile wilderness is a setting in Maine. is just a really cool place for an adventure race with trails, um, some really cool mountains, waterways, and, and heavily forested areas, which you'll really find if you have to uh, do any bushwhacking. Um, it's a great place to go, even if you're not racing. Um, if you want to check them out, you can go to uh, outdoors.org. Great, great website they got there. I'll give you details on adventure destinations from all over the Northeast 
everywhere from New Jersey to Maine. And as we learned from the Sopranos, New Jersey has a wilderness. So um, that it's uh, outdoors.org. Um, once again, so you can find everything there. And uh, don't forget, you, you can head out for a little slice of paradise from the AMC um, if you're at Untamed New England. So uh, thanks for listening. I got to say, I'm very pleased with how the podcast is going. Uh, you can go to iTunes, leave some feedback there. Can't hurt. Um, send me an email. You can send that to uh, legendaryrandyericksonfilms at gmail.com if you got any suggestions. Uh, you know anybody you think should be on the podcast or, hey, if you think you should be on the podcast, uh, let me know. So uh, here's my conversation with Barb. We'll make it professional, so to speak. So, um, okay. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Okay. So now we're just having a conversation and we can say whatever you want. And I'm making sure everything is look, working here. So. <laughs> Excellent. So how much snow do you got there? Whew. It's hard to say. We've probably got ooh, 60 centimeters. Like there's a lot of places it'll be up over my knees if I'm walking in the forest. It's been an amazing winter. Well, I don't know if amazing is the right word. You know, we <laughs> we had five feet in October. Wow. Huge. I mean, unusual bad storm, you know, no power for 10 days, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's going to be 50 today and 70s by the weekend, so... I'm wow. I'm more happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like my winter sports. We uh, we do a lot of skiing and snowshoeing, uh, and we can do it right out our door. So yeah. it's it's been pretty cool, and it is actually snowing right now as I look out the window. So I don't think it's going away anytime soon. <laughs> oh. I I'm I'm sorry. I'm not that big of a big of a fan of that, but. <laughs> Well, I, I certainly, I, I hear a lot of the other point of view. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. So, um, how's the foot? It's getting better. Yeah. Um, I um, I injured it last year. I've, I've turned my ankle a lot of times on that mm. foot over the years, and I probably haven't given it enough time to, to uh, recover yeah. before I've got back to activities. And unfortunately, it's uh, the bones are a little uh, non-mobile and that kind of thing. So anyway, I, the, the injury itself is my heel. Like that's, that's where the manifestation came. I had to stop running because my heels got incredibly sore. Well, my heel on my bad foot got incredibly yeah. sore. So I've been doing physio and seeing a sports doc and just getting back into running now. So, and uh, I know... You're you're ready to go to the UMTB? Am I saying that? I never remember. <laughs> is that right? U, 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 UTMB. It's, UTMB. Yeah, it's the, yeah, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. That's the uh, one. Yeah, no. it's a 100-mile race, or 168K, so a little more than 100 miles. And it's around Mont Blanc, which is the highest mountain in... Uh, I guess Western Europe, because there's a higher one in uh, some other parts. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's amazing. You start in Chamonix, France, and you run southwest, and you cross the border into Italy, come around, go through Switzerland, and then you finish in Chamonix, 
and most people take more than 40 hours to do, do that, which is pretty slow for a 100 miler, but that's because there's over 30,000 feet of vertical. Uh, yeah, just a little jaunt in the, uh, in the uh, up and down. So I know you went last year. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Well, it. I mean, it was it was fascinating, you know, reading your story about it and and fighting the cutoffs and stuff. So, but so so tell me about that because it was just really interesting how you how they work that and how it was working for you and 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 how it ended up. Yeah. Well. Uh, a lot of these ultra runs, well, all these ultra runs have some kind of cutoff. Some of them have one cutoff at the end. Yeah. Uh, th those are the kinds of races that suit me better because uh -huh. I find in a long race there's an ebb and flow of energy and, and that sort of thing. UTMB is different. UTMB has 12 cutoffs during its length, and they assume that you're going pretty much an e even pace you know, throughout the time. Yeah. Uh, so I was keeping ahead of the cutoffs pretty well. Uh, I mean, I wasn't going to keep ahead by a lot. As I said, most people finish over 40 hours. In fact, I think the median time is somewhere around 42 and a half, 43 hours, and the maximum is only 46. So what that means is when you start, and for the first day, I mean, you're never going to be hours ahead of the cutoff. You're always going to be close, and if you're lucky, the time is growing. And that was happening to me until sleep deprivation really uh, kicked my butt, <laughs> and I got really, I got really stupid. Um, there may be more to it. I mean, also nutrition. There's a lot of things that I'm going to try to do better this year. But I think the biggest thing is I went into the race uh, without enough sleep, probably for months prior to the race, and certainly in the two weeks prior yeah. to the race. Uh, yeah. Amongst other things, I'd managed the race headquarters for a 24-hour adventure race, and I'd been up for 40 hours straight, and then I flew to France four <laughs> days later, uh, and, and never really got over my jet lag. And uh, Anyway, so yeah. all I can do, I look at the, the splits, and I see that I spent 18, 19 minutes in an aid station, which, if you, you had asked me, I would never have believed that that was possible. It felt a lot faster, uh -huh. and I remember leaving and leaving my trekking poles behind and going half a mile out of town having to come back and get them uh so i mean i obviously just was totally out of it yeah well yeah i mean it, you're going to do it much smarter this year right you're not going to be doing anything like the week before or traveling or any of that kind of stuff right <laughs> <laughs> well i'm going to fly about nine days before the race so that should hopefully give us some time to get over the jet lag i am so <laughs> two weeks before i am doing the world road gaining championship yep. which is a 24-hour race uh in your neighborhood yep so and it's it, timing <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of a joke because barb's going to come stay with us amongst other people we we're not sure but we may have a really good house full of people <laughs> But since since you were, of... <laughs> yeah, since you were the first uh, first signee, you get the map room bed, so you get the good spot. Ooh. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and that you know that's actually where I met you first, and I even it was okay. I don't remember which checkpoint. It was either fifty-seven or sixty-seven at the at the Custer State Park Road gain, and it was it was. Basically dawn, 
and I was sitting at the checkpoint on the saddle, and you came up with with uh, the other Barb, right? That's right. I was with Barb Bryant, and I, I remember seeing you too because we saw you up ahead, and we were about to turn in and go off off our gravel road, and you came with us the whole way, and I was mighty impressed. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I was still relatively new at the uh, the Rogaine game then, <laughs> so it was interesting to watch you two to 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 see. I mean, I, you know, that was probably only about the second or third thing that I'd shot, so it was. It was a real interesting education to me being with people that are really good navigators and, and seeing how they work during the race. So so how long, I mean, how long have you been in this game, so to speak, road gaining, adventure racing, trail running, that kind of stuff? Um, not that long, actually. Just, well, I mean, I guess it depends how you measure it. A little over, uh, I guess, 11, 11 or 12 years now. The first race that we tried was in the fall of 2002. Um, our background was wilderness tripping. It was not any kind of athletics. I didn't even take phys ed in high school. I didn't, you know, I, w I would have told you when I was 30 that I couldn't run because I have bad knees. Uh, but we did a lot of camping, kayaking, canoeing, uh, backpacking trips up in the Arctic, that sort of thing. And so, yeah into adventure racing from that direction that seems to be a fairly common way of doing it i mean that's you know paulette was like that you know backpacking all those years um you know kyle peter was the same way you know chicago boy yeah, yeah i didn't realize that until i listened to his podcast i thought that was really cool because actually my perception is uh is that most people came into this from being athletes at least certainly you know, people who've been in it for a while and who have stuck with the sport, a lot of them were, were pretty good athletes of some sort. And then they got into this. And I often find it's interesting because it's a different way of thinking. You know, when I went into the woods, you'd be awfully careful about ever going off trail because you don't want to get lost. And you're always <laughs> thinking about survival and safety. And, you know, from a racing background, you approach it in a different way. You want to do things fast. And, and so it's hard, you know, everybody's got to kind of meet in the middle and figure out how to make that all come together for adventure racing. That's part of the fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's something that I'm kind of want to talk to people about. My theory kind of is, is that uh, if you have the adventure, if you've been a, that kind of person your whole life, it's, it's easier to get into, I think, specifically expedition type races. Um, to me, if you're just a really good athlete, how do you get that, all that knowledge and and things you need to know to to be in the woods for ten days? Yeah, well, and I think you know, just as uh, people who come from an athletic background need to learn about the outdoors, those of us who came from an outdoors background had an awful lot to learn about you know, trying to be an athlete. So yeah. <laughs> I think it all works out, but it's, it's good on a team to have some mix, you know, some people for yeah. first aid skills. Uh, I mean, I know I've volunteered at expedition races where I've been a little nervous about teams say, you know, who don't have whitewater skills, but they're going out on whitewater and, you know, coming from my background. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have to learn a lot about rescue safety before you'd ever attempt that kind of thing. So it's it's been kind of interesting, you know, dealing with that. So, yeah, well, and then there's that, you know, advantage that they don't know what they're getting into, so they don't, they're not worried. Whereas, <laughs> well, you know, you, me, I mean, we kind of know what's out there and what can happen. And 
yeah, I know what you're saying. Sometimes you worry about teams. They're like, really? That's what, that's you're going out there. <laughs> yeah, so. it, it, exactly. So I, I think probably we could do a little more uh, with that. I know I've been at some races in the past where there's been some pretty good, you know, pre-race, say whitewater talks or, you know, whatever, yeah. but still it doesn't make you an expert. And it's actually, it's amazing that uh, things stay as safe as they do, but for the most part they do. Yeah. I mean, it, people get lost, you know, people get hurt, but it's not a, not, not that bad usually. So I guess I think there's a lot of good race directors and uh, yeah. they're very cautious about safety in their course design. And of course, you know, they've got paramedics around, you know, handy if anybody breaks a bone or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, uh, exploring in the woods ends up being uh, pretty safe and just lots of fun. Yeah. I kind of look at it as um, it's a way to go see stuff that, you might not normally go to because you figure a race director has picked out the really cool areas where he's racing and yeah you might go out there and hike and you know go out backpacking or be out there but i i always think about it when paulette and i were doing a lot of mountain biking we'd go someplace and you'd find the really cool stuff the last day so, <laughs> yeah no so, it's I mean, it, true yeah you you kind of figure, okay, they're going to be in some really cool places. So it gets you places where you've never been and might not never go. So I think that's, that's right. A, and that's... Some, yeah. And some of them are really close to home. I mean, that's something that always amazed us within two or three hours of home, you know, race directors would take us to really cool places, little small towns, you know, and forests outside them that we would never have thought to explore ourselves. Yeah. But, and I'm guessing you guys are like that too, with people you take, you know, somebody out that's lived there, around you your whole life and and they're like oh i've i've never been here <laughs> just because you've been you've been everywhere around you right <laughs> well it, you know it's funny i can still get disoriented on the block of land where we live now it's a pretty large block of land it's yeah. about three kilometers by one and a third kilometer so it's big <laughs> Yeah. But in wintertime, when I'm snowshoeing and I'm not using trails and I'm not keeping track of where I'm going, there are times when I'll kind of look around and go, you know, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure where <laughs> I am. I mean, I'm never worried and I yeah. can figure out how to get out. Yep. But things look different in winter. Things look different off trail. I go to places that in the summer would be all thorns and poison ivy. And so they're not places I would recognize in summer either. <laughs> and it's very, very cool that you yeah. can find those kinds of adventures even in your backyard. I uh, I know we were. I was out with let's see Tuesday night with my friend Dave. That's they're actually moving out here to the hills in the next year or so. So we were out hiking. You know it was eight o'clock, so plenty dark. Got some snow, and it's an area where they've done some logging. But it's a trail that I've been on a hundred times, and I still okay, okay where are we go okay there we are. You know still had to pay attention, and that's kind of fun too. That you know you're just not out bombing around because you know exactly where you're going it's it's kind of fun to be not lost but just like pay having to pay attention yes exactly that's one of the reasons why i kind of purposely don't pay much attention to where i'm going it's just oh that looks like a nice hill i think i'll climb it <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually wow i had no idea i did yeah. a complete circle but that's really cool yeah we have we have friends that won't ever come with us anymore because we're like oh yeah let's go for we're going out for a two-hour hike and, you know, four hours later, we're like, okay, we're almost home. So, <laughs> so I've, I've gotten so lost 
you know, we're, you know, the Black Hills here is what, 800,000 acres or whatever, you know, so it's a big area and, and it's, it's some rugged terrain right around our, our place. But I was on a ridge in clouds, now give me that, and I'm walking and I'm thinking, this is someplace different because the steep side should be on my right. And, the, <laughs> and I'm looking and I'm like, am I turned around? And I pulled out my compass and I was literally, I was 180 degrees turned around. And I would, I would have bet you a thousand dollars I was going north and not south. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, kind of fun once in a while to be sort of lost. <laughs> it is. And it's kind of fun to, to uh, learn how to trust your compass too, in a situation like that. We, we did a race in Scotland and it was a bit outside our comfort zone. You know, we're up in yeah. mountains and mist and, you know, around here, if it's foggy, I mean, really, you're not, you're probably not going to go over a, a thousand foot cliff or anything like that. Yeah. But it was just amazing because you'd say, okay, well, you know, according to the map, if we walk about five minutes that way, there's supposed to be like this huge steep mountain in front of us. I don't see a thing. Yeah. And it was just awesome to be able to go through there. And that's one of the things that I've loved about getting into adventure racing is I did a lot of navigating on our wilderness trips. But you get so much more practice navigating through adventure racing, gaining, and the sports that I've done now that it's really neat when it works. You know? Oh, yeah. You learn the skills, yeah. you learn to trust your skills, you develop this confidence that, um, you know, you, well, I didn't have certainly before. I mean, I, I was probably a pretty good wilderness trip navigator, mm -hmm. but you don't get nearly as much practice. You get on a lake and, you know, okay, the next three hours I'm going to be paddling that way. And that's about all you do. When you're looking for checkpoints, you have to really, you know, learn a lot of different yeah. navigation techniques. And I've really loved that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Even... I, maybe Bob Miller isn't like this, but I'm always really, really kind of pumped when I get someplace and like, oh, I'm really where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I still find it cool when it works. And yeah, I do a lot of um, backcountry stuff with Bob because we uh, co-manage Wilderness Traverse, the 24 to 30 hour adventure race up here in Ontario. And I have to say, Bob loves the outdoors just as much as he probably always did and takes like great delight in finding cool places. And I think that's the only way you could keep doing it for as long as he's been doing it. Yeah. So when is Wilderness Traverse this year? It's the July 12th weekend this year. We've moved it um, back a month to fit around some other things. Um, Bob's actually getting married yeah. uh, in early September. And, uh, and of course, a lot of people were going to the World Rogaine Championship, so we thought it might be fun just to try a different weekend and see how that works. So, yeah, it should be good. It'll still be warm. Um, the mosquitoes probably won't be all gone, but uh, by mid-July, it's, it's a lot better than it would be in June around here. Okay. So, yeah, I think it should work out pretty well. Yeah. So, and where's, where's that race at? It's up around Rough. the per Perry Sound area. So similar area to where we were last year, but of course, a completely different race yeah. course. Uh, and we'll see you when you get there. <laughs> You'll find out more then. then. Well, and is that probably the biggest race in Canada now? 24 to 30 hour? Yeah. Well, probably. Uh, it's the most competitive. That's what okay. we call it. And uh, it probably is the largest 24 to 30 hour race also um, 
I can't think of any others that would compete with it at this point. Mostly we get just incredible teams to come out for it and, you know, really tough competition. Like last year, Team Technu, which was third at the World Championships this year, was there battling it out with uh, Benoit Letourneau's team from Quebec, who's won it the last couple of years. And in the end, you know, Benoit scraped out the win this year and, you know, did a great job on that. But Technu, you know, actually Technu ended up coming third. They had uh, a penalty for leaving their GPS behind. And one of our Canadian teams, Pulling Foot, came second. But it was just super tight at the top. I mean, people after 24 hours were still running to the finish line on the last trekking section. And I know, you know, those teams, they want to come back this year and fight it out again. And it's been just really exciting for us. At the same time, we had a team that consisted of three uh, former TA volunteers who've come out to adventure races for years. And one of them married a, a very experienced adventure racer, so... They went out with him, and uh, eventually there was a little back and forth. One person did have to drop out with injury, but we we have a rule where if you start with a team of four and finish with a team of three, because team of three is still a legitimate category in our race, we call that a legitimate finish. They even picked up a guy who'd been dropped by another team because uh, of bike problems. So (laughs) anyway, they made it to the finish line, and it was just awesome to see people who you know, maybe 10 years ago would never, you know, dream of doing an adventure race, you know, longer than a couple of hours. And they made the finish line too. That's, that's pretty cool. So what's the, what's, what's the adventure race situation in Canada? What, how many, you know, what, how many races you got? Um, well, I, I'm really only familiar with the Ontario scene. I mean, I know, I know some names of races like Momar out in BC and there's Red Pulse in Quebec, but generally speaking, I stick to Ontario and we've got a very healthy scene. Uh, Storm Racing has the largest adventure racing uh, weekend in Canada. It's Storm the Trent and they've Mm -hmm. got three different race courses, some on Saturday and one on Sunday. Uh, I think he gets like 600 or so people over the weekend. So that's, that's one of, that's Sean Roper who runs that and that's one of his four events that he runs through the year and their each event is different bob's got uh, wilderness traverse and then in the fall he puts on a multi-sport race logs rocks and steel and this mm-hmm. year he's also adding a sprint adventure race i think it's going to be four to eight hours so that people could do a more traditional navigation style race instead of the multi-sport if they want uh, we've got the Bruce Peninsula multi-sport race, yeah. which is an incredible multi-sport race put on by Jack Van Dorp and uh, and some friends up there. Tons of community support. Uh, so we've got we've got quite a lot of of different races going on. We've also got adventure runs, which are not multiple sport; they're only on foot, but tons of navigation, and yeah. that's run uh, through Don't Get Lost Adventure Running, mm-hmm. which. Uh, is an orienteering and adventure running club. One of the things I think that's really made our scene in Ontario healthy is that we have a lot of crossover between the different sports, between trail running and orienteering, um, adventure running, adventure racing. A lot of the same people are involved in all of the sports. Yeah. Um, I know that there's different places in the world where it doesn't happen, and in some places there's even a little conflict between the groups and I think we've got like you know uh, Bob Miller 
for example, he organizes one of the Don't Get Lost adventure runs, the Snowshoe Raid, at the same time as he manages, you know, this competitive 24 to 30 hour adventure race. Uh, Sean Roper, who runs all the storm races, uh, the, the racing series, he's the equipment manager for Orienteering Ontario and manages all the sport ident timing equipment for us. So it's all kind of the same people and we see each other at all these different kinds of events and it keeps yeah. things healthy, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's, I get real jealous, you know, being on attack point and you guys are all out every weekend doing something and you're, you're all together racing or playing or training and it's like, man, I wish we had more than four people here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, still a lot of the time we see each other is on attack point, so you're really not yeah. that far out of the scene at all. <laughs> you're well, one of the gang, Randy. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> so. Well, you know that that's the only reason I wanted you to have a, have you on the podcast, and now I'll get all the attack pointers to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's that's I can accept that. <laughs> you know, it, it, hey, it's all about the marketing. <laughs> so, so um, I guess since we're theoretically this is an adventure racing podcast, how many, how many? Let's just go with expedition races. You know, four day, three, four day races have you done? Ooh, um, hmm. I know two. <laughs> yeah, I'd say probably of that length, like it would be less than 10. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly not as experienced as, uh, you know, like some of the people that you're going to be talking to. Uh, I've done. Uh, well, I've done Untamed New England, where I yeah, saw yeah. you back in yeah, 2010. Yeah. Uh, last year, I went to Argentina for the Tierra Viva six-day expedition race. There was the um, the Apex race in mm -hmm. Switzerland. Um, and back before, like in Canada, we used to have more races of that length. We would have the Raid the North Canadian Championships, which were uh, about three days long. Um, Endurance Aventure, which is an incredible company in Quebec, and they've actually got an amazing race coming up mid-September in Gaspé. They put on excellent races, and still, I'd say the most memorable race I've ever done is their Coast Raid, which they put on in Lower North Shore, Quebec, back in, I think it was 2008 now. Um, so, yeah. And then well, was what, why, was, why was that so memorable? Don't just just don't gloss over that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Coast Raid. Uh, first of all, I should tell you a bit about Endurance Aventure. There, um, there's uh, some people in Quebec, and there's some strong athletes in the group. Uh, Daniel Poirier is is one of the ones. He's the one that uh, usually puts out a lot of the communications. They don't put on races all the time. They put on races when they have a reason to put on a race Interesting, um, yeah. and so they had uh, they had this idea I think they, they, they saw a movie it was about oh, finding doctor or somebody or other and it was in lower North Shore Quebec and Daniel went I want to hold a race there what an amazing place and that was one of the things that was amazing about that race was it was a place in Canada that I had never heard of and I've traveled an awful lot in Canada but it oh. was lower North Shore Quebec and to get there you flew to Newfoundland and then you traveled up the west side of Newfoundland, and on the northwest side, you got on a ferry and went across to this part of Quebec that had just this little stretch. I think it was about 60 kilometers of highway, 
just west of the border with Labrador, and then the road stopped. And <laughs> if you had to get to the rest of Quebec, you would have had to have taken a boat. So, And I think it took a couple days if you wanted to go that way. So we, of course, went through Newfoundland, and they rented us a bus. So that was the first thing, was this adventure of discovering a piece of Canada I never even knew was there. Um, and then the people were just so excited that we were there. I mean, uh, it was it was pretty cool landscape. It's almost, you know, it's a little barren tundra-ish in places. Um, so, I mean, it was a gorgeous landscape, and it was by the water, and we got out on the ocean, and we got up to some nice high viewpoints. So, I mean, it was scenic and beautiful, but the excitement of the local people. There was a rope section where Richard and I went up to do a zip line because only two people from the team needed to go. Our teammates were waiting below, and the mayor of the town and his kids came up and wanted a picture with our teammates. <laughs> and, and cars everywhere because it. It had been in the paper and on the radio that we were going to be all doing the zip line at this spot, and people had come to do this. But the most amazing school gyms and church churches and you know that kind of thing in the different small villages that we would be huh. going around to yeah. and this amazing woman was like what you know they're going to be cooking craft dinner and sleeping on a school floor. this is ridiculous and she called all her friends and we arrived at the end of the second stage to this amazing seafood buffet Wow. They they had gone out and they'd like they'd fished for stuff that day like crabs and you know fish and she'd been up at 4 a.m. baking bread because they felt it wasn't hospitable to let adventure racers cook crap on their stoves and you know <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know as adventure racers we don't really expect that we're going to be you know having living in the lap of luxury or anything but exactly. they did that. And then she called the next town down the road where we were going to sleep the next night and told them and volunteered. And she drove up and she helped them. And they put on another you know, meal for us in the next town. And it uh. was just, we were rock stars for this one brief, you know, few days of our lives. We were rock stars for being adventure racers at the same time as we got to do this really cool race in this amazing place. And it was just awesome. And people should go there for vacations and kayak and hike. It's amazing. Just make sure you miss polar bear season, which we did. Uh, yeah. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, thanks. We don't need that extra. I mean, that's, isn't that kind of amazing that, I mean, you know, obviously Canada is a really, really big country, but that there's an area that you never, never knew about. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I guess I just never really thought about when the road stopped, that there'd be a spot where the road started up again, you know, in Quebec. And that was just mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, and it's it is near Labrador, so of course you know I didn't know about Labrador. I just didn't yeah, realize yeah. there was this little pocket of Quebecois there, and I just I loved that. Anyway, those same people, uh, Endurance Aventure, are putting on a race in Gaspé this September, and because I'm doing UTMB again, it's not a race I'm going to be able to do, but I think it's going to be an amazing adventure, and it's not one that's going to pop up every year. They're yeah, very yeah. good at getting. I, I don't know what they've done specifically, but they're very good at building relationships with the local communities and maybe they can get a you know a tourism grant or something so when you go there you really feel like there's a lot of strong support and connections and you know i remember one year that like people's you know aunts and uncles or parents were serving us chicken soup at three in the morning when we got back from a night leg and you know it's just it's a very cool experience and well worth looking into it's interesting interesting race i'll have to find a link and 
and maybe you can send me a link. I'll put it in the show I'll, notes. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Yeah, because it's mid-September, and you know there's uh, there's not a lot of other expedition races in North America near that time. So it's a kind of thing where you could do something like, you know, Untamed New England Wilderness Traverse, and then you know you'd be prepared to try something like that in September. And it is, uh, I believe, this year it is also going to be a stage race again, which is a different kind of racing i actually find that to be a harder kind of racing because i'm a slow racer i'm i'm much better when you just keep going through the night because with any luck that will slow down the fast people if they get it yeah. to sleep i'm in trouble <laughs> so no yeah that's kind of cowboy toughs that way with the with the uh night you know it's that hybrid it's not a really a stage race but it's not a not a continuous race but um hopefully it's a little harder this year so tech new doesn't get six hours of sleep every night <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. always the problem with those yeah. but um so did you just do untamed the year well must have been 10 when i was there 2010 yes. yeah i did untamed that year uh, yeah it was a great race i really enjoyed yeah. Untamed, and i have a lot of respect for uh, the way rant like grant puts on his races and designs yeah. them that sort of thing. So yeah, I highly recommend that race. Yeah. Other, except for Moose Alley. <laughs> except for Moose Alley. Well, you know, I mean, we, we do <laughs> a lot of portaging. It's, it's funny. I, I mean, up here in, in Canadian races, I, I've never seen portage wheels in races up here, yeah. but I guess it's very common. Well, pretty much everywhere else in the world, people take portage wheels and they call them portage wheels, but no, no, no. portage. <laughs> <laughs> but portage wheels. So Moose Alley, you know, although it was tough, it wasn't as different from what we might have done on wilderness trips ourselves <laughs> in, oh, in the past, except that we would have used much lighter canoes, of course, on our own trips. Yeah, Fortunately, yeah. I had three strong guys on my team, so uh, it wasn't so bad for me. Yeah, Moose Alley, a lot of times if you mention that to people who are there, it's kind of like the Cheyenne River paddle in primal quest in 09 it, it, <laughs> people sometimes i'll be down there i'll go down to the badlands or something and i'll you know take a picture or two of of the cheyenne river and post it and you know I, i'll get comments about nightmares <laughs> so <laughs> i think maybe if it had happened later in the race i don't know i i was still pretty <laughs> energy then I, I was a happy girl then even though you know that was hard work yeah yeah, and it was early, so that did help. But exactly, it was exciting, and it's it's absolutely beautiful in that part of the world. I mean, I was really just enjoying. It. We had the bus ride up there, so you knew what we were going to be seeing on the way back. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and I had three strong teammates. I mean, that's probably the strongest team I've ever raced on. So it was, uh, it, was it was a very it was a cool a cool couple of days. Yeah, it was. So now that you've uh, complimented your teammates, can we talk about my favorite? moment in adventure racing ever <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about oh <laughs> <laughs> well, the only the only thing that i tormented you with for the last what three years um <laughs> uh, well shall shall i explain this so yeah I, you explain it and then i'll tell the real story if you, if it doesn't come out <laughs> okay um all right well what what randy is talking about is another one of the times that he followed me with a video camera which is one of Randy's things because Randy trains and uh, just because you're hiking up a mountain doesn't mean you're safe from Randy <laughs> just deciding to come along with you. 
So this was uh, toward the end of Untamed New England 2010, and uh, Grant had a Rogaine finish. And great intentions. The idea was you got to the finish line at the ski resort, and then based on the amount of time you had left, you could go out and there was a Rogaine section. And for every checkpoint you found, um, we would get four hours subtracted from our race time. Uh, now, uh, after that, the feedback wasn't positive, and Grant also didn't really like how it turned out, no. so this isn't going to happen again. But Never again. <laughs> no, no, but at the time, I mean, you know, yeah. you, whether you like it or not, that's, that's how the race works. So we got in, and we had, oh, I don't know, I think we had about five hours left, something like that, four or five hours, when we got in before the cutoff. And we were doing, we were doing well. We... Um, we were in fourth place at that point, and we had actually been, I think, as high. Well, actually, I think we'd been as high as first place at some point in the race. And until the night before, when we had an unfortunate penalty, when we accidentally left behind our satellite phone, when we were repacking our backpacks, when we were tired, we were definitely headed for the podium. So it was kind of, it was rough, you know, dealing with that, but it was a totally fair penalty. And, you know, we, we couldn't argue it. We accepted it. But at the same time, there was still kind of this feeling like, oh, like, man, we really ought to be on the podium in this race. We really would like it. We fought so hard (laughs) for so many days and there's not a lot of time left. So we get in and there's this roguing. So we look at the map and I'm, I, I'm slower in the first couple days of a race, and I tend to be one of the stronger people in the later days of the race, mm-hmm. which I think largely is that I don't change that much. I'm just yeah. always kind of slow. And the people who start out faster tend to slow down until finally we meet somewhere in the middle. And so this was this is about where we were at at that point. And I was pretty lucky in not having a lot of blisters. Some of my teammates had you know incredibly sore feet at that point. Yeah. And... And not everybody was excited about the idea of the row game um, as a way to settle the race. However, we kind of, you know, it would be crazy to ignore it. We didn't know if there was a team on our heels. We were fourth. If we just sat there and didn't do it, maybe we'd end up being fifth or sixth. So we kind of had to go out. We went out and we found uh, we found a checkpoint. I think we found two checkpoints. Yep, that's what and, I remember. Yeah, and you were with us, uh, yep. videotaping all of this, and then we had a choice. It was 8 a.m., and we had till 10 a.m., and if we went back from that point, it would only take us less than half an hour. And I had the map at that point, because I was about the widest awake and probably, you know, had... I, I like Rogaine's. <laughs> <laughs> even, even though I wasn't really that keen on having the Rogaine at the end of that race, you know, I like yeah. Rogaine's. And so, you know, I come looking at it, I'm like, okay, like I, I know we can make it to this one other checkpoint and then we'll just bail down to the road. We'll run back. And there was one of our teammates who really was down on the idea of the Rogaine. Yep. In general, and 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 he just he didn't really want to go on. It wasn't so much that he didn't think we could do it; he just didn't like the way it as a way of settling the race. And you mm-hmm. know, I totally respected that. 
And we had we had a little discussion, the four of us, which you caught all on video on camera. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I would say there was there was every that was a totally natural, not worrying about the video camera conversation. Yeah. And I was, some some people look at it and they think it was an argument, but honestly, on day four of the race, it was as close to a rational you know debate of an important point as yep. we could probably come with our sleep adult brains. Uh, and let's say I have a lot of respect for everybody on that team. That is the strongest team I've ever raced on. And it was it was a tough call because I know at least a couple of them were in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, they had skin off the bottom of their feet and they'd been going for a couple of days. And the thought of going farther to get one, another checkpoint, uh, when it might make no difference to the result at all, you know, and then coming back on a paved road on those sore feet, it was hard to get enthusiastic about it. And there was a small risk. You know, what if I was wrong in my time estimation? What if we went all the way there and we didn't find it? So anyway, we had we had an honest discussion and you caught it all. And then in the end, uh, we decided to go for it. Yep. And we got it. And uh, I'd say two of the guys, one of the guys, the one who had been the least keen on it, was the one who ran ahead and found the checkpoint in the end and, you know, saved the day kind of thing. And we got back. We still had half an hour to spare. As it turns out, it made no difference to the results. All the teams that went out, you know, got about the same number of checkpoints. The team that was behind us uh, decided to sit halfway up the mountain and just wait. Uh, and as far as I know, I don't think they ever got a checkpoint. They just waited to see if anybody behind them was going to pass them, which was a pretty smart thing to do. <laughs> but yeah. in the end, yeah, I think I think we got I think we got three checkpoints, and I think the team ahead of us also got three checkpoints, and yeah. so it was a wash. But the way I figured it. Uh, in in the debate there was this was our only chance to get on the podium because one of the other rules was if some team arrived even at one minute after ten I think they were disqualified like it it was it was serious it was either yeah. disqualified or a huge penalty so our one chance was like let's get as many you know checkpoints as we can we'll get as much time subtracted from our time as we can and we're gambling that a team ahead of us is going to make a mistake because that's all we have left. You know, that, that's why we're fourth is because we made a mistake. Uh, you know, maybe somebody ahead of us will make a mistake. You know, when you're tired, people do make mistakes. As it turned out, the teams ahead of us were really good. They didn't make mistakes. <laughs> and and we finished fourth. And to me, that was an incredible victory. I mean, it was in in most ways uh, just an amazing race. And I say excellent teammates that I was with that time, team running free. Yeah. Well, and I look at it, it to me, to me, it's, I liked it because it was something that nobody, unless you're a racer, you've you've been that, but nobody ever sees it. But then the other thing is, once that decision was made to go, it was never, never an issue. You know? Now, and that's what you have to do in adventure racing yeah. too. I mean, you there you can after the race. Uh, we we will often our team would often have lessons learned and we would create these long word documents back yeah. in the early days of that kind of thing. The time to do that is not on the race course, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you just kind of have to make a call and go, and that's kind of one of the things I try to think about is yeah. you can spend a while making a decision, even in an orienteering race, you know, about whether to go right or left. But the time that you spend thinking about it, you might use up all the advantage that choosing the better route might have got you. And sometimes it's better just to make a call and go 
something that you know is going to work and not really agonize over whether it's the perfect decision. Yeah. You can agonize about that after the race. Yeah. Um, and there's no sense, you know, blaming or worrying or whatever. Just make a decision and go. And yeah, I mean, that team, they were all incredibly experienced racers, all of them more experienced than me. And once we made the call to go, we went, uh, you know, including, let's say, at least one guy who was hobbling and just in, in horrible shape and was just so, so tough through all of that. And actually, they were all running ahead of me. The yeah, that was yeah. I know. <laughs> well, you guys were talking about how bad his feet are, and and, and normally I'm a, you know, I think oh let's get that because that's kind of cool. And I I saw how bad he was hurting, and I'm like nope, I don't even want to know what those feet look like. <laughs> so, I still sort of have nightmares about Nathan Fave's feet down in Costa Rica, what they look like. So. Oh. And, yeah, yeah, I saw some photos. I don't think they were Nathan's, but they were from his team. And Basically. oh my goodness, yeah, well, racing, racing in the tropics is not one of my dreams. <laughs> I and and watching him there injecting iodine under the skin. Oh, and he just this was so cool. I mean, he's sitting there, and you can. I mean, it doesn't look like he's changing expression, but his whole face is tight. Oh, and some, somebody said, "Oh, that's not so bad, huh?" And he says bloody hurts <laughs> you, you can imagine how much it must have hurt <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is I, I think part of being a good adventure racer is having a pretty high pain tolerance yeah, uh, both yeah. mental and physical so yeah i i think that's that just goes without saying but uh so um so what's what's your best day ever adventure racing We'll, we'll narrow it down to adventure racing. Best day ever, adventure racing. And just so you know, next is what's the worst day? <laughs> <laughs> As a wild guess. Well, I mean, I, I kind of always say that like sunrise is, in any overnight race or multi-day mm -hmm. race is your best day every single time you see it. I mean, there's something amazing. I'm not a morning person. I think Kyle actually said the same thing. Yep. It kind of rang a bell. I don't see a lot of sunrises, uh, in spite of the fact that when I have to see them in a race, I just love them. Mm -hmm. The best sunrise was that last day at Untamed. We got the last checkpoint, and we're biking downhill to the finish line, and we were quite satisfied with the race. For me, that was probably the best sunrise, although the best experience would be finishing at the Coast Raid that day, and the local townspeople all coming in, and, and they stayed there. Like the fisherman who caught our crab was there sitting on a chair, you know, in this in this auditorium and willing, just fascinated to talk about what we had done all day in the place that he loves. Uh, that was fascinating, too. Uh, yeah, anyway, I think those are the kinds of things that, that yeah. I remember. Beautiful places, sunrises, uh, people. Yeah, it, to me... Yeah, being able to finish around people. I mean, it's hard in an adventure race, but that always seemed like a bonus to, um, you know, Cowboy Tough. They were having a festival. Uh, Expedition Idaho, they finished. It, it, the last stage was kind of an exhibition a little bit. I mean, you could lose some time, but they finished at a blues and beer festival. <laughs> it, and that was, to the racers, that was it was pretty cool for them because they would cross the finish line and then they'd walk through several thousand people. 
Oh, those are pretty amazing. Yeah, it's hard to pick a best. I mean, obviously, yeah. I love it, or I wouldn't keep signing up for more. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. So, okay, so I said, what's what what's the worst day? Um. Well, there's. I mean, I wasn't racing. My worst day involved with adventure racing was in Primal Quest 2004, when Nigel Aylott was killed by Falling yeah. Rock. And I was on the support crew down waiting for our team to come in. And, you know, we knew something had happened. We didn't find out for a long time what it was that had happened. They just told us to hang there and, you know, the teams were going to be held. The helicopter came down with the rest of his team. And that that just really hit home because, you know, we do this, we do this for fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do this for adventure. We do it for friendship. And that was just devastating, uh, you know, to have, I mean, that guy was leading at that time, the most prestigious race in the world. And he was in first place leading his team when he was hit by uh, a falling rock. And that was the worst adventure race experience bar none. Uh, As for experiences where I've been racing, my worst experiences come about, like I'm, I'm the navigator usually mm-hmm. racing and I tend to be very focused on the navigating because I mean there's there's a fair bit of pressure on the yeah. navigator especially as people get tired and sore and sleepy and that sort of thing so you really want to do a good job you don't want to waste a lot of their time or take them farther out of their way so I tend to be pretty focused on the map and what I want to see next and how far have we gone and what time is it and all of that thing. And that can make me blind to maybe what's going on with the rest of the team. And there have been a couple of times, one time in particular where um, it was a hot day and I just always kind of assumed that I'm not going to be physically strong compared to my teammates. You know, I'm older, I'm not a really strong athlete. So it never occurs to me that, hey, I'm probably feeling better than the other people. That that would never cross my mind. So okay. I, just assume, yeah. I just assume if I'm feeling good, they're probably feeling good. It was not the case that day. So I was really focused on, you know, I saw other teams around and I thought we could make some time by a certain route choice. And I'm just thinking about that. It was a hot day. Heat is traditionally, you know, my kryptonite, but mm-hmm. I was feeling pretty good in the heat. And I failed to notice that my teammates were doing pretty badly in the heat. Um, I, nobody else had brought sunscreen uh, and we, we were running low and there wasn't a lot of water to drink. And one teammate in particular was feeling really sick. And it wasn't until, you know, really it got pretty serious before he raised it enough that it's like, okay, like we've really got to slow down. And then I felt terrible uh, that I wasn't noticing that. And I feel badly. And I don't know, maybe other navigators have that same situation sometimes. But there's been a couple of times where other people on the team have had to tell me, hey, like, you know, we've got to take a break. So-and-so is cold. So-and-so is hot or whatever, because I haven't noticed. And those are bad times because I feel like that is my job, too, to try to be attuned to the rest of the team. And I'm not always great at it when I'm Um, on the map. uh, Yeah, but I I disagree with you. (laughs) I think if you're on the map, that's that should be your focus. I mean, that's what you have teammates for is, is to say, Hey, we need to, need to slow down. So. Yeah. And I've I, had great, great teammates to do that 
it still doesn't stop you from feeling guilty because the people you race with are pretty much always your friends. Yeah. And nobody wants to see your friend getting to that point where it's like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have let him or her, you know, get to this point with me still pushing on and in race mode and not noticing. And, you know, so those I think are, are the worst days and, and everything has always turned out. Okay. It's just, you know, I feel badly because there's there's a lot of things to focus on, and you know, some a, a larger portion of my brain maybe should be devoted <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah. That um, it's kind of unusual that, in not to be sexist, but you're probably one of the few female primary navigators. Um, and I I don't even know if there's a question there, but no, I you, I would agree, and and actually. Just as a comment on that, I think it's it's pretty cool when I'm racing, say, on female teams or when I'm racing with sort of teams that aren't trying to, um, you know, win a, a, yeah. a prestigious race. I would say in general what I've found is being um, like sort of a pretty average athlete and uh, an above average navigator that's not really what most teams are looking for mm-hmm. <laughs> you know my, like it's great when I'm the captain of my own team uh, yeah. you know because that's cool and I make up the team to sort of you know fill in the blanks like I can barely fix a flat tire on a bike so there's a skill set that needs to be on my team you know that sort of thing but I would say in general when teams are looking for women to race with them they want someone who is fast yeah and a woman who can navigate, generally speaking, once again, not being sexist, but on most teams, the woman is not the strongest athlete on the yeah. team. So a woman who is also navigating and the fastest on the team isn't particularly useful. So I'd say it's been kind of interesting for me that way. I think what it has meant is with that being my strongest of my adventure racing skill sets, it's meant that most of the time I need to make up my own teams because I'm not usually the right puzzle piece to fit into someone else's team. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting to, to look at it that way. I mean, it's, it, it is interesting, you know, that at untamed, they're doing it again this year where they're going to have the, the orienteering relay. And, uh, I remember watching that last time and teams standing there trying and, and not just women, but other and men too, but saying, okay, you know, trying to, to walk them through the whole course because they had no idea how to read a compass. And it's like, really? I mean, you should probably have at least that much ability if you're going to adventure race. Yeah. Well, and I think at, at the top levels, they certainly do. Yeah. Like here in Canada, we've got, like, say, Liza Pye or Leanne Mueller are a couple top uh, female adventure racers in Canada, both of whom are amazing navigators. Uh, whether they're on a co-ed team or a female team, they, they add a lot, I think, What's unique about me is probably not being the strong athlete also and being the navigator. Uh, but, yeah, that orienteering relay is an awesome twist that Grant has yeah. to Untamed New England. And I know teams, I saw people coming to orienteering events last December, and that's what they were practicing for. So you know, they're, they're, be in- they're getting ready for Untamed New England because they typically have two people on their team who navigates. Uh, who navigate and they want the other two people to be just as comfortable. So they're starting to come out and practice. So, I mean, that's a great thing that Grant's doing for, for everybody. Yeah, it'll be, it, it, it was a very interesting, I still remember I was following one guy out of the course and I, I literally had to leave because 
I could see how frustrated he was. <laughs> he, he was on an Easter egg hunt in the middle of the night. And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh dear. So, um, so, you know, you got, you got this year planned. What's, what's next year? <laughs> How's that for a, that's an excellent question. Yeah, this year, I was awfully lucky this year. I mean, uh, UTMB last year, I mean, yeah, it, it had been a long time goal. I'd spent over two years working toward it. Uh, for people who don't know, to get into Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, first of all, you have to run a number of ultra races of different lengths to collect enough points to get the right to apply to the lottery. And then you go in through the lottery. So, I mean, it's a big deal to get in. And a number of us were going from Ontario. Uh, but it took a couple of years to get to the point where we were all going on that trip. So it was kind of a, a big goal. And then I failed. It was the first ultra race I'd done that I didn't finish. And I went into it. I was I was pretty confident. I wasn't nervous. I mean, I, yeah. I, I acknowledged the fact that I might not finish, which I acknowledge going into any race. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't nervous. And it's interesting because this year, now I'm nervous because I'm going, <laughs> I'm going back to the same race. And I, yeah. I didn't go into it, you know, thinking I was going to fail. I mean, planning to fail. I mean, I, yeah. I always knew it was a chance. A third of the people who start that race uh, didn't, yeah. don't finish it. And that was in perfect conditions last year. But still, now I'm nervous. So I'm really <laughs> trying this year to make a strong focus on that. But the reason I decided to go back, because I, I you know I still might not finish. And... Because it might just be beyond me. It's an extremely hard 100-miler. It will be yeah. my first 100-miler. It's not a great one to start with as your first 100-miler. But, um, you know, I'm a master's athlete. I may not do a whole lot of other 100-milers. And this one appeals to me because I love the Alps and, you know, being in Europe and red wine and cheese and chocolate and all that kind of thing. So I really want to go back and do this. But I decided the one reason to go back was if there were other things about going back that were positive in my life. So, for example, I'm really working hard on trying to get a lot more sleep than what I got. I'm tracking it every day in my attack point log. Yeah. And I've got some targets for that. I um, I had a weight loss target, which I just hit yesterday. Yay. And now, of course, I have... Yay! Yes, exactly. Now I have to try to keep it there till this summer. I want to, you know, make sure I'm working better on nutrition and hydration. And I just thought um, training better, like strength training, core strength, all the things going into this. I want to do a better job of all of that because all of this, those things are good to do anyway, you know, and they, they'll make me healthier and happier and all of that. And if I do all of that, and I still don't finish UTMB, which is entirely possible, then at least it's still a good way to have spent the year. And I wanted that to be the case. I didn't want to just go back and try again and, you know, possibly fail a second time because then it would just feel like a failure. I wanted there to be a lot of other mini goals associated with that one major goal. And what's kind of cool this time is my husband, Richard, also got into UTMB. So we're both now working toward the same thing. Which yeah. hasn't always been the case. Uh, last year, he did the shorter race there, CC 100K, and did really well. Um, he's doing Wilderness Traverse this year, which he's done a few times. Obviously, I can never do Wilderness Traverse because I'm always at race headquarters and helping design it. So it's kind of nice we're on the same page 
for this event. For yeah. Yeah. So. And I don't really know next year. I would say that I'd like to do one or two other expedition races. And one thing I've got in my mind is I would love to go to a race outside of North America, like to a cool place I'd like to travel with an all-female team. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a few people I've talked to over the years about doing that. And if the timing all works out, it would be really awesome to go and do that. So maybe so. one or two two more of those they're very consuming though so i think i'm looking at uh, at races where i can see interesting places and the race is a bit of an excuse to go there but maybe you don't have to take your bike (laughs) and and, you know and and pack 20 barrels of food and try to figure out when you're going to see them and that sort of thing which is you know a fun problem to solve you know know a few times in your life and maybe even you know a dozen times but it's kind of neat just to be able to pack a bag with only running gear and go and do a row game you know flying to the black hills yeah for a weekend for a 24-hour race that will be incredibly challenging beautiful terrain fascinating navigation and there's not much time away from home involved not that much cost and i only have to pack you know one backpack full of you know emergency gear and my running shoes and i'm all good yeah, that's kind of what Paulette's been been looking at too. It's like, yeah, she's she's kind of ready to adventure race again, but she's also that, you know, we can just just yeah, take the backpack and running shoes and go run and, you know, and then she's just looking for the longest thing she can because she's kind of like you too. She just it's not fast but never slows down. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I think those things. Yeah, well, you yeah. could come next year and run the two hundred, the Tahoe two hundred. <laughs> I don't know. We better see how my foot handles uh, getting. I think my longest race or longest run in the last few months has been 16 kilometers. So yeah. I have a long way to go to, go. <laughs> to ramp up <laughs> to UTMB. And well, fingers crossed, uh, you know, I've got a 50K and a 50 miler on the schedule this spring. So, I mean, I if I have to pull the plug on the 100 miler, I will hopefully know long before then. Yeah, but I mean that is a possibility. Yeah, it's a it's a long ways away. Other than, you know, you're going to turn around pretty quick, and it's like, oh man, I got to start packing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah, so. another kind of event actually that I, I quite enjoy and would like to do a few more of, and I wish we had them in North America, is the mountain marathon, which isn't what it maybe sounds like. Uh, some people will be familiar with it. But in the UK and uh, Sweden, that kind of thing, they're two-day races, and each day it's a navigation race. And when you finish at the end of day one, all of you end up at this spot in the backcountry where you're all going to camp together. That's, mm-hmm. that's the last checkpoint and then you, and it's mandatory you can't go through the night you stop at whatever time you finish like say you know three four o'clock and you're there till 6 a.m the next morning and you've got nothing to do but chat with these people from around the world and it's very neat and then the next day you get a new map and you head out so that yeah. part of the challenge there is coming up with lightweight gear because you've got to camp you've got to make a hot meal there's a lot of mandatory gear uh, and yet you can get it down to, you know, between four and six kilograms if you really are, are careful about it. And I kind of, I'm a, a bit of a gear nut. I love playing with stuff like that and trying to figure out how we're yeah. going to do things lightweight. What adventure racer isn't a bit of a gear nut, though? <laughs> I think if you're not a gear nut and if you don't like shopping for that kind of stuff, you probably won't last a really no. long time. <laughs> 
because that is a lot of fun. It's like, oh, man, you know, this is lighter yeah. than that. Oh, here's a better pack. Like, I, yep. I, I shudder to think of how many backpacks I own of different. Yeah, I know. I... Yeah, ranging from, you know, the big 100 liter two week in the backcountry backpack down to little waist packs. It's yep. like Imelda Marcos and her shoes have nothing on me and my, my pack collection. I counted ours once because I got in a discussion on Facebook with somebody and I, 35. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I so. would not debate. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm very fortunate because I'm sponsored by Solomon yeah. Canada and I do get to try out a lot of packs. Uh, they'll, they'll send to me or I get a discount on or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do have an incentive to own a number of different ones, but even yeah. before that day came along, I, <laughs> I collected them anyway. Yeah. So it's been a very good fit. So it's cool. So, well, we've, what haven't we talked about? <laughs> we haven't talked about speaking Spanish to dogs, but I covered that last week with Philippe. So, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm working on my French this year because we'll uh, be speaking French to, uh, well, to human beings. I won't see a lot of uh, dogs on the UTMB dogs. course, but both Richard and I are working on our French podcasts <laughs> to get yeah. ready for France. I thought, well, maybe I should try to learn some Spanish, but I thought it's going to be easier. I'm going to try because I'm hoping to go to Ecuador for Worlds, but I'm going to try and get Philippe to go with me so he can ah. be my translator again. <laughs> <laughs> Ecuador for Worlds would be a lot of fun. I have to admit, if UTMB doesn't kick my butt, uh, that that has some appeal. So. I've heard some great things about the race organization there. Yeah, other than... I don't know if their nav is that good because you know that's who ended up in Canada at Untamed is the race, is the race organizers. Oh, you, rem you remember that? From I don't know. Well, you were racing. You probably never even heard about it. Um, uh, uh, shoot, I can never remember their name. They on the second day they crossed over the Canadian border. Oh, that's they, right. They and they didn't get have back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was a great story. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to have those guys on sometime before world. So we'll give them a little grief about getting lost in Canada. So, <laughs> um, well, like I keep saying, we're like six or seven podcasts in and I don't, I don't have a, a good ending yet. So I just kind of let everything fade out. Um, but I think the one thing we'll do is if we do another countdown, then I can, cause I'll have two separate, tracked here because of the technical stuff so we'll do one more countdown and and then i can line up the second track so sure i'll start five four three two one so and then i have a i have a special piece of music that'll that'll about six people will understand it when i put it in the podcast but it'll be pretty pretty good <laughs> Okay, great. So, well, thank you so much. All right. Well, we'll be in touch. You know, pretty soon we'll have to start thinking about worlds. and. We'll... That's right. I'm looking forward to that. Basically, all you need to do is get yourself to Rapid City and we'll take care of you. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be a lot of fun to meet some of the other folks at your place, um, too. Yeah. Who are, who are you racing with? I don't even know. Oh, Heather Brown. Okay. Heather yeah, she's, uh, uh, we're in veteran women's. Okay. She's, she's a fair bit younger than me still, but she's uh, veteran women's and she's, um, she navigates. 
yeah. uh, which is good because I really, for 24 hours, like to have two people looking at the map. She uh, She's the partner of Sean Roper, who runs Storm Racing, so she okay. gets a lot of course uh, testing uh, experience, just like yeah. I Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. We've never raced together before. Should be but, interesting. Yeah. yeah Paulette, Paulette's hoping we've got a friend here. They want to start adventure racing, and we're like, you know, maybe... You know, you guys do do 24 hour. That'll be a good a good test before you really start getting in. You know, it's a little bit easier than adventure racing right now. <laughs> so, well, it is the great thing about a rogaine is you can make it anything you want to be. I mean, you can exactly. come back and camp for the night if you're not comfortable being out there alone with the mountain lions, or you can yep. <laughs> or stay out, or you know, whatever. And and if you don't find a checkpoint, it's not the end of the world. You're not DNF. You just move on and find the next checkpoint. So, yeah, I recommend Rogaine's to everybody. Right. Hey, there we go. How about this? Go find the next checkpoint. <laughs> there, that's my ending. Well, we sit out. <laughs> Take care. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, Randy. Bye.
That's the way you do it. Get your money for nothing. Get your checks for free. We got to install microwave oven, custom kitchen delivery. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Money for nothing. Chicks for free. Money for nothing. Money